Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward. And I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honoring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here. Let's jump into today's episode. Today's podcast is a conversation with Dr. Hilary Clare on the topic of postnatal depletion. It is a topic that I personally feel really passionate about bringing as much attention and focus and awareness to, not just because of my own lived experience with postnatal depletion and the way it impacted me personally, but just because pretty much every single woman I interact with who has a child or children has an experience of postnatal depletion that does go far beyond just the early days of being really tired and being exhausted and being overwhelmed. It goes much further than those early days. And Dr. Hillary explains that in our conversation. There are so many different contributing factors. And I just, I don't know, like learning more about this topic gives me so much compassion and empathy for me eight years ago, I kind of wish I could go back and give myself a big hug and say, you're doing really well. It's a lot right now. And there are so many things that are taking away from you rather than adding to you. And you're doing well. And so many mums and dads need to understand and hear that, I think. So this topic, postnatal depletion, is one that I would encourage you to listen to regardless of whether or not you think you'll ever have children or maybe your children are a little bit older now um, or maybe you are considering becoming a parent and this will be incredibly helpful as well. I think it's just one of those episodes that each and every listener will be able to take something away from. So Dr. Hilary Clare is a clinical psychologist. She specializes in nutrition and environmental medicine. She's also an author, a yoga teacher, and a mum of two. Dr. Hillary's book is titled The Motherhood Reset, A Clinical Psychologist's Guide to Finding Calm, Confidence and Contentment in Motherhood. I will have all of the details in our show notes so that you can grab a copy of that book and inform yourself on this topic. I hope that you really enjoy my conversation with Dr. Hillary. It would mean the world to me if you take a screenshot of this episode, pop it up on your Instagram stories. You can tag me at Kylie Camps or at The Fray. Um, It's been a while since I've been able to record interviews. As many of you will know, a couple of months ago, I moved house and I've had nothing but nightmare, you know, dramas with trying to get the internet established. So I'm really excited 
to be able to have guests back on the podcast. And if you enjoy the, you know, this style of episode, let me know because then I can go ahead and plan more episodes that are in a similar vein or, you know, more interviews and things like that. So let me know over on Instagram, share this episode with someone who you think might benefit from from this, um, just simply by sending them the link or tagging them on social media. Let's get into my conversation with Dr. Hilary Clare. Dr. Hilary Clare, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with me. I have been so looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be here and to talk all about postnatal depletion. It's such an important topic to cover. It really is. And as I was sitting down this morning, kind of making notes just surrounding my thoughts on postnatal depletion, I really felt such a wave of, I don't know, strong emotion from my own experience of being a mum and just a sadness that I didn't have this information before I had the boys. Because I think that had I known a lot of this information, it really would have saved some of the heartache of feeling like, oh, I'm doing it wrong or I'm struggling or this isn't how it should be. And so I would love our conversation on the topic of postnatal depletion to either, well, to both, to help people who perhaps haven't had children yet to understand what they may be walking into, but also to help people who have had children to feel more like their experience is normal, you know, that they're not doing anything wrong for having gone through postnatal depletion because, I mean, you'll, you'll tell me in a minute, because it's so much bigger than just not having enough vitamins or not having enough energy. My understanding is it's emotional, it's psychological, it's physiological. It's a huge thing, right? Yeah, it's massive. And it's, there's so many different causes. There's generally not just one thing that is causing somebody to be postnatally depleted. So I guess if we start at the beginning, what is the definition of postnatal depletion for you? So postnatal depletion, it's a term that is an accumulation of symptoms. So it's a syndrome. And those symptoms that that people who are postnatal depleted have tend to be being quite anxious or hypervigilant, easily overwhelmed, hard to make decisions, feeling low mood or really instable mood, kind of up and down and just incredible fatigue and feeling like they're just burnt out and that everything is so hard, so overwhelming and it's hard to just get through the day. And it's something that is it doesn't just happen on like day three of having a baby or two months later or something like that. It's generally something that slowly creeps into a new mother's life. And it can be something that comes in months down the track or for some it's years down the track because they haven't supported themselves or been supported by those around them and society adequately during pregnancy, during birth, during those postpartum years, and they start to realize, wow, I'm really struggling here and what's going on? I am feeling just so exhausted and everything is just so hard. I love that you mentioned that it doesn't have to sort of set in on day three or drop in quickly because when I hear the word postnatal, my automatic response is to think of a mum with a new baby. But 
postnatal is just how we are after we have a child, right? Like it, it's just the state that we operate in from then on out. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it is, it's really something that does take time for us to recognize as mothers and for the symptoms to get severe enough that it is something that is causing problems in people's lives. And you mentioned the term hypervigilance. And I wanted to highlight that because I imagine a lot of people would think of depletion as meaning low mood, depression, those sorts of things. But hypervigilance could present as like being very controlling, being very strict with a schedule, being, um, you know, kind of that military precision type of mum where you just want to control every moment of every day and being really uptight. And I think that it's worth highlighting that that can be a symptom of postnatal depletion rather than, you know, an indication of someone um, over-functioning or being super controlling. Yeah. And often if we do step into the realm of being overly controlling, it comes from a place of fear or anxiety and being uncomfortable sitting with uncertainty. And there's so much uncertainty when it comes to motherhood. So that is a really common experience for mothers. So, and it is something to be aware of that if you are being too controlling and too rigid with things to check in and think about why and where is that coming from? And when you look deeper at it, you can get a clear picture of, is this coming from fear and anxiety? Or is this coming from some other place? I imagine that you could list off a thousand symptoms or potential, you know, causes of postnatal depletion. But just for our listeners, I would love to kind of highlight the main areas that go towards this depletion, such as, you know, is it to do with our psychological well-being more than it is our physical well-being or is it all kind of equal? It's all of the above. And I don't think there's generally one cause. So post, when people are struggling with postnatal depletion, often their bodies are inflamed and their brains are inflamed. So they're not working that well and they are depleted of nutrients. So there is a real physiological reason behind it because often we go into pregnancy not having adequate nutrients or not able to absorb our nutrients because of maybe medications we've had or our gut microbiome maybe not being as good as it should be and a variety of other reasons that we're actually depleted of nutrients often before we even have our baby and then if we're breastfeeding and lacking sleep or just taking more and more nutrients out of our body and that is a real part of postnatal depletion and there are other physical components to it like like I said with the sleep and even lots of stress though that really does impact on mother's experience but there is also the practical side so mothers nowadays often don't have their village they don't have their close family around them or close friends around them or aunties and uncles to support them. So they're often doing most of the mothering alone. And a lot of the time they don't have experience mothering. So they're doing this huge new thing. Arguably one of the biggest changes that we go through in our lives is becoming mothers and they're doing it alone or without the support that they really do need. So that's a real practical um, 
con contributor that causes stress and the overwhelm and the uncertainty. And that then stresses out the body more, uses up more of those nutrients. And there are other practical factors as well. But um, then there's also the societal component, which is huge because for mothers, we put these expectations on them to be selfless, to be super mom. And also on the other side of that is that we normalize being burnt out and being exhausted as mothers. So mothers may not recognize if they're feeling that way, that it's not normal, that it's that those are actually signs that something is wrong, that they should get support with it. And when I say it's not normal, it's not to invalidate people's experience, but it's so common that women are suffering from postnatal depletion now. But that doesn't mean that it's like a normal thing that we have to go through as mothers. It just is so, so common nowadays because of those physiological reasons, because of the practical reasons, because of the societal reasons. And yes, there's absolutely psychological reasons behind this too. The expectations we put on ourselves are often ridiculously high in motherhood. And the expectations we put on our partners and our kids are just unattainable as well. And we can often bring a perfectionist tendency to parenting and that isn't very helpful either. And that causes that unneeded stress. So there's so many components that drive women to become postnatally depleted. And for every woman, it is different. There's going to be different obstacles that they um, are up against that are depleting them further. Yeah, of course, because for some women, it will be their first baby, you know, and then for other women, they could be bringing home a new baby into an already existing family unit. So there would be, I think, differences then in expectations, because yes, if you bring home a baby into an existing family, where you've got other children, you may have a level of expectation of what those early days are going to be like, but you may be blindsided by the experiences of feeling guilty for not being able to give as much attention to your other children and those sorts of things. So each baby, even if you've had a baby before, but each baby would bring along with it a new set of expectations that you're either conscious of or are sitting below the surface, but it's going to impact your experience for sure, right? Yeah, absolutely. And even with each new baby, it brings the other issues up as well, like those physiological reasons, because often we go into that first pregnancy without adequate nutrients and with our bodies already being inflamed. But then you add a subsequent baby and pregnancy and birth and, and sleep deprivation to that. And that just amplifies that issue as well. So, yeah, it's constantly changing. And if we do have the number of babies, it can make this worse. Like some mothers don't notice it after their first baby, but they might after their third. Mm. You've mentioned the term inflamed now a couple of times. And I just wanted to circle back to that because what does that mean, I guess, to the, to the person listening at home who perhaps hasn't yet had a child, but can maybe relate to the fact of, oh yeah, I'm just operating along. I'm not feeling amazing, but I'm accepting that. But what does inflammation in the body actually mean? Well, we're starting to realize with research that inflammation is, chronic inflammation is behind a lot of diseases and disorders, even issues like depression and anxiety. They're finding that it's a really big factor and it's, it's a normal reaction for our bodies to be inflamed. Like if we 
bump our knee, we're going to get that inflammation. And that's like more acute inflammation, but it's chronic inflammation that is the issue. And that's when it's more systemic throughout your whole body. And we're realizing our brains as well are um, impacted by the way we live our lives. So stress can be really inflammatory. Um, the way the foods we eat, convenience foods, foods that are have plenty of calories, but maybe don't have adequate nutrients can be really hard on our bodies and that causes that inflammation and sleep deprivation so many different things just anything that's stressing out our Pretty body much even every and, way in our life <laughs> yeah yeah even like the environmental toxins right yeah like perfume everything is just stressing the body and if we stress the body our body reacts by one of the ways it reacts is that inflammation and that that chronic inflammation is what can be really detrimental mm. so i guess from listening to that, a lot of people are entering pregnancy, not even kind of at a homeostasis state. You're already kind of entering pregnancy like a little bit below that. Oftentimes, yeah. Yeah, right. Now, with postnatal depletion, as you said, there are obviously so many contributing factors that go towards this. Is it part of the parcel of motherhood to a certain extent? You know, is there anyone who is so across meeting all of their needs that they can go into motherhood and not experience postnatal depletion? Or is that like my societal conditioning of, yes, you know, that is, you know, the frazzled mum, the exhausted mum, the mum that isn't putting herself on the priority list? I think it's possible to go through pregnancy and birth and becoming a mother without becoming postnatally depleted. I think it's very, very common nowadays, though, because of all those factors pushing mothers towards becoming that way and becoming highly stressed in their in their brains, their bodies. But if a mother is very healthy going into pregnancy, eating the really nutrient-dense foods that our ancestors used to eat or people in traditional cultures are still eating if they have adequate support in place and have a plan for especially those first three months postpartum if they have lots of people there to take care of them to do the chores around the house the cooking so they can spend that time healing their body bonding with their baby resting and if they can also prepare psychologically to lower those expectations, push aside those societal pressures to, you know, get back to doing everything they were doing before they had their baby straight away. If we can do all of those things, as well as eating really good food that is easy on the body, but nutrient dense after pregnancy, if we can put all these things in place, postnatal depletion doesn't have to happen. But I think it's so challenging to do all that in the modern day. And often we don't realize that it is such a big thing that we go through until we go through it. And then it's, we're trying to crawl back from it at that point when we realize that we're struggling. Yeah. And I have, like, I don't know whether I'd call it a question or a comment on that, but as you were speaking then, um, Dr. Hillary, I was thinking to myself of my own experience with pregnancy and the foods I was eating and things like that, I was literally unable to eat anything that I would have classified 
as healthy. I was eating so well before I fell pregnant with my boys. And then the moment I was pregnant, this is how I found out I was pregnant because it was a bit of a surprise. I had a physical response of if I saw a fruit or a vegetable, I would throw up. I couldn't open the fridge if I knew that they were in there. So just as you were speaking, then I was thinking like, is this whole, um, you know, desire or perfect world living thought of going, you know what, if we can just put great food in our body during pregnancy, it will help. Is that another layer of pressure and another expectation because I was thinking like, oh, I was already failing, you know, by that metric of going, put really good things in your body, look after yourself. I literally feel like I'm failing hearing that because my response to healthy food was to throw up. Like all I could keep down was plain pasta and lemonade ice blocks, you know, and it's just like, there's so many ways that we have pressure on ourselves to do pregnancy right and to do birth right and to do it all well and it's really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't want to be adding those extra pressures and guilt because that isn't helpful. So I think it's just recognizing and accepting where we're at and what's happened in the past. And that that's okay. Nobody's going to do it perfectly. There is this ideal way that if we tick all these boxes, it's going to set us up well. But a very, very small minority is going to do all those things. And even still, they're not going to do it perfectly. So I think we have to let go of those expectations because, yes, they're absolutely adding more pressure and adding more guilt. So totally unhelpful. And I think it is okay that we do pregnancy and we do birth and we do postpartum imperfectly because we all are going to do it imperfectly. Yeah. And so with expectations, um, obviously that impacts, perhaps not even obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but expectations do impact our experience of our reality. And some people have very clear conscious expectations and ideas of how things will be. And then other people have more subconscious expectations and beliefs that were, I guess, planted in our minds throughout childhood and experiences and TV shows and all that sort of stuff. How can we as women, I guess, kind of talk back or manage our expectations, if that makes sense? The first step is becoming clear on them, because like you're saying, some of us are clear on what our expectations are, but I think the majority of us aren't. And we might notice a few of them, a few of our beliefs, but also not be aware of a lot of them. So the first step is getting that self-awareness. Just as you do things throughout your day, as you feel really strongly about something with parenting or in your relationship or in yourself, just notice why, what's behind that? Why am I feeling so strongly about this? What's the belief there? And then once you can get clear on what that belief or that expectation is, you can start to unpack it a little bit and start to create some space between you and that belief or expectation. So you can start to notice, okay, that expectation isn't mine. I think I picked that up because that's what my mother modeled to me, or that's what I saw on TV, or that's what I was explicitly told by a doctor or whoever. Mm -hmm. And then you can start to, you know what it is, you understand where it came from, and then you can ask yourself, do I want this belief or expectation to guide my decisions and my life? And then 
maybe it is a helpful one. So you say, yep, I do. I want to use this. Okay, great. But if you say, no, this isn't helpful for me to always put others first, let's say, and never connect with what I need and be a completely selfless mother. Okay, well, I know that this belief isn't really mine. It actually came from society or TV or wherever it came from. I don't want it to guide my decisions, but it is going to keep popping up because it's something that we probably will have. It's been reinforced over time and it probably did start in our childhood where most of our beliefs started. So, but you have that awareness. And then every time it does pop up, you can ask yourself or tell yourself, oh, there's that belief again that I need to be a selfless mom to be a good mother. Huh? Well, there it is. I don't have to follow it. I don't have to let it guide my decisions here. What could I do differently? How can I do something that is more supportive of me and my family in this situation? And then do that. And over time, you, it, you can start to let go of those beliefs. But I, it does really start with that self-awareness and that curiosity about where it came from, if you want it to guide your decisions and then choosing to let it or choosing differently. So it's a process that takes time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, a process and a practice. And as you were talking then, I was thinking, I wonder as well if even just journaling or doing some free writing where you just, you know, spew out all of the beliefs that you have surrounding what a good mother is, what they look like, how they act, and just really then kind of systematically analyzing what comes up for you. And it kind of, it reminded me of a conversation I think I've had for the podcast. I can't remember, but I remember specifically speaking about the topic of dieting and diet culture and thinking we all have so many food rules that we're not even necessarily aware of, but we have these beliefs surrounding, you know, carbs are bad, don't eat after this time or whatever the, whatever the, you know, bullshit is that's floating around your mind. But it's helpful to just kind of spew that out and then look at it objectively, as you said, Hillary, and go, is this something I believe? Like, do I believe and do I have the knowledge, the lived experience that this is true? Or is this kind of propaganda that I've absorbed from social media, for example, or a TV show or things like that? So I wonder about just, yeah, kind of spewing out what are your beliefs around what motherhood should look like? Yeah, that's something that I do with clients and I have in my program as well that we do really look at what the good mom beliefs are that we hold and then we work through that systematically writing it down and going through those steps. And I think that is super helpful. And I think we have to come back to that list because you can write them all down, but then you go through your day and your week and you start noticing other ones that you're not even aware of. And then you can add those and sometimes those are the ones that are really impacting you. So it's good. It is something that you can't just do one time. You have to keep coming back to and adding to that list and working through them. But I think journaling, writing it down is such a great way to 
work through these things because when it's in our head, it can seem overwhelming and confusing. But when you write it down on paper, you can create that space between those beliefs and yourself and you see it for what it is. It's just a belief. Mm -hmm. So then you can process it and not let it drive your behavior that much more. And you mentioned behavior there. Something I would love to explore with you a little more during this chat is what are some of the ramifications of postnatal depletion? What sort of behaviors or thoughts or feelings might come up for people if they're in this state? For a lot of mothers, I think they feel like failures. They feel like there's something wrong with them because, or they believe, I should say, they believe that there's something wrong with them, that that they're not doing motherhood well enough, that they're not living up to those good mother expectations that they have of themselves. And this can result in lots of guilt and like, you know, even depressive mood. It can lead to lots of stress and anxiety. It can lead to them being angry and having rage and being you know, snapping and not acting in the way that we want to act as a partner, as a parent, and just in general and how we take care of ourselves. So often mothers, if they are really feeling this way, they may not be adequately then taking care of themselves because they are so exhausted and they are feeling all these intense emotions that aren't conducive to motivating them to take care of themselves. And yeah, it can really lead to a lot of destructive habits or sometimes it's just unhelpful habits. So it's not that they're really dangerous, but they're just not how you want to act. Mm. Just from conversations I've had with girlfriends over the years of having kids, um, one of the things that has kind of popped up time and time again for so many people is that they feel resentful of their partner if the partner is the one getting to kind of leave the four walls and go out into the workforce and things like that. That's just such a common experience for so many new mums that I've personally spoken to where they have said, I'm, I'm angry, I'm resentful, I'm frustrated, I'm mad. And there's like conflict with their partner. So it sounds like that kind of, you know, is connected to that overall depletion, right? Like it's all, all interlaced. It is. It is. And I think a huge part of postnatal depletion is you, you're you putting your baby first and you're taking care of them and you can lose touch with what your own needs are. And you're not asking for or being clear with what your needs are to yourself or to your partner. So then you're resentful of your partner leaving and going to work and leaving those four walls. But you're not necessarily expressing that to them in healthy ways. So it builds up into resentment and anger. And then it comes out in outbursts of yelling or crying or whatever it looks like. But it's a very common experience. So I think if we can get in touch with how we're feeling and what we need, and then start getting those needs met by ourselves, by those around us, by our partner and talking to our partner about them, that can lessen that resentment. Because you're starting to get your needs met at the same time. So it doesn't like build up into something really, really intense. And it's such an important life skill, isn't it? Like checking in with ourselves and being like, how do I actually feel? What name do I give to this feeling? And what do I need to do with it? Like I know even for the last 12 months, like I can hold it up and show you on my screen. The, I, mean, I don't know if you will say it, but the reminder on my phone says, 
How do I feel? What do I need? I have that displayed as a notification every single day because it's so easy to disconnect from how you actually feel and what you actually need. And so every time I pick up my phone, which is far too often, I'm prompted with how do I actually feel? What do I actually need? And like that's after doing a lot of work on myself doing some studying in the, on the topic of cognitive behavioral therapy. It's eight years into motherhood. Like I've still got so much to learn, but I wish that I had known the importance of just taking a pause and a breath and really checking in and being like, how do I feel? What's the name of that feeling? And what do I do with it? You know, do I need to do anything with it? Because had I done that, I think I would have been less rigid, less uptight, less militant, which was a lot of my experience of the early days of having twins, had I simply had that tool of checking in with myself that costs nothing if you have the knowledge that, you know, it's important to do. Yeah. Oh, that's like, it's life-changing. And I, I love to hear that you have that as a reminder and you check in with it every single day. That's something that I have on my phone as well. And I get clients to get on, um, put on their phones or put on their steering wheel or on the fridge or wherever it works for them. So it a little post-it note on the baby's head. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a really good idea, especially because we're so focused on what does our baby need? Like they're crying. Okay, do they need to be fed? Do they need a nappy change? Do they need to like play or on and on and on? And we're so focused on their needs and we just totally forget about our own. So yeah, post-it note on their head would be a great <laughs> reminder. Maybe that's a business idea, like a little stamp, you know, something kind of non-toxic <laughs> that you can put on the newborn's head. But yeah. when I posted about this topic in our free Facebook group, one of the comments came through from a mum who said she didn't realize how much breastfeeding would deplete her. Like, I guess a lack of understanding of how that would feel in her body or what it might take from her. What are some of the things that I guess all mums, but in particular breastfeeding mums, should know about depletion and replenishing themselves? Well, for one, there's all this talk about you're eating for two when you're pregnant, which isn't true. You don't need to like double what you're eating. But when you're breastfeeding, that's when you actually need more nutrients or more calories because you're using up even more at that time. So making sure that you are really like hydrating and eating incredibly nourishing food because the baby is continuing to take all your best nutrients out of your body. So you, it, it's such an incredible thing to do to breastfeed and it's beautiful and it releases incredible hormones and it's great for bonding and it's incredible for your baby's health. But it is a strain on, on the mother, especially if you are doing it long term. So ensuring that you do support yourself with a really good nourishing food, maybe even supplementing if you need to. And for that, I think it's really useful to get um, some testing done to know what is what you're needing and also to get as much support around you as you can to prioritize your sleep. And that's a really hard one to do with babies, I know. But really, if you can go to bed when the baby does, even just for those first few months, you're setting yourself up to be able to cope long term with breastfeeding and all the other demands of being a mother. So it, those first three months, you want to be able to have some time to yourself, but prioritizing sleep is so, so critical. It's game changing. It's one of the most important foundational 
things we can do. You know, you can take all those supplements and eat the great food, but if you're not sleeping, it's not going to be all that helpful. So if, yeah, if you can eat well, check in with what nutrients you do need, prioritize sleep, really get that support around you and try to lower the pressure and expectation on yourself. If there are pressures that do come up with the breastfeeding, um, because that can be an issue for some people too, saying that I have to do it or I have to feed on this certain schedule and the pressure that you have to ensure that your baby gets a certain amount, but you don't really know how much they're getting because you're breastfeeding and that can be a stress for people. So just checking in with what those expectations are and seeing if there is a way that you can process them and let go of them. Something I wish that I had been more cognizant of going into having twins or just, you know, babies in general, I wish I had been more aware that at each hospital staff change, I would be met with someone who would tell me the right way to do it and it would change. You know, like just as you were saying then about feeding, I was thinking with the boys, you know, I was pumping because I'd had an emergency C-section. So I was trying to get my milk supply in. So I was sitting on the automatic pumps and then I was hand expressing as well, if need be, then trying to breastfeed these boys. And I could remember just feeling like this sense of being in quicksand and drowning because I would have one hospital staff member, you know, whether they were in the special care unit or just on the ward, say to me, this is the way you breastfeed. You know, you need to keep the boys awake, get a cool washer, put the washer on their feet, keep them awake. And then the shift would change and the goalposts would move completely because the next staff member would say to me, no, let them sleep and snuggle up to your breast as they're feeding. That's the right way to do it. And it's like, oh my gosh, this moving target, like I just couldn't grab onto it. And I wish I had known that people would give me information and that I didn't need to cling to it as though it was gospel in the way that I did, because it was an impossible task to please these people. And that's how I felt I was. I was like, I just want to please them. I want to show them I'm doing it right. But you can't because a lot of it was opinion, not fact. And it's like, you just can't forever be trying to swim towards someone else's opinion. And I think that's one thing. If I was to go again and have another baby, I would hope that I would have that knowledge of like, don't worry so much about the moving targets. Yeah. And you intuitively know what is working for you. I had a very similar experience. I had, I just had one baby at a time, but even still, yeah, I felt like I was failing at how I was breastfeeding initially. Cause they were just like, Oh no, you don't do it that way. But they would say that when I was doing it in the way that was working for me and my baby. So it was, yeah, that was really challenging. And I think what you're saying here can go for not just breastfeeding, but it's across the board that connect with like what works for you and just know that there are experts out there that claim that they know everything and they know useful things and they're useful, you know, sometimes, but also just do what works for you and don't try to live up to all the expectations of all those experts out there and do it the right way because there is no right way. It's just, it looks different for everybody. So that can go across breastfeeding. It can go across how you sleep or how your baby sleeps, what they eat, you know, when you feed them on and on and on. 
Mm, absolutely right across the board now I love that listeners will be able to take some tangible tips from this conversation such as the importance of understanding I guess their base level of meeting their nutrient needs prior to falling pregnant if possible taking care of themselves you mentioned also perhaps getting a test just to understand if there are any deficiencies and how to best improve upon those deficiencies sleep is a massive one and I can just say you know anecdotally when I was first starting working with um, clients in the baby sleep area when I would go and do in-home consultations nine out of ten times parents would say to me I'm so worried you know the mother in particular I think I have postnatal depression because the postnatal depression checklist marries right up to the sleep deprivation checklist and so many times once we improve their sleep it improved their overall sense of how they were coping and they sort of, you know, were able to kind of detach from this diagnosis of postnatal depression because they'd improved so much just with sleep. So sleep's a massive one. What else should our listeners know in terms of the things that can help them to, I don't know if the word is overcome or, you know, just improve this experience of postnatal depletion? I think one thing that is so, so important, and it's something we already touched on, is connecting with how you're feeling and checking in with those emotions that are coming up throughout the day, naming them, like you said, actually putting a name to them and labeling them. I'm feeling anxious or I'm experiencing some overwhelm right now. And then getting curious about that and saying, huh, okay, why am I feeling that way? Is there an unmet need? underneath that and getting curious, checking in with yourself, taking that 10 seconds or a minute, however long it takes and get clear if there is a need. And it might be as simple as you're really hungry or you need sleep, or maybe it is that you need more support or that you need more connection with adults. It can be a variety of things, but getting clear on what that is. And then once you know what you're feeling and you know what your needs are, you can then either meet them yourself, go and lie down when your baby's sleeping or ask your partner or somebody else for the support that you need. And that way you can start taking care of yourself in the way that you need it. Because some people, a lot of moms do need that extra sleep right away, but some people do need to eat more nutritious food. Other people need to lower their expectations. Other people need to get outside in nature more and start moving their body. So it can look different for everybody, but it, if we can get in touch with what we're feeling and what we need and start trusting ourselves more, that can help guide us to what's going to support us individually. Mm. And just, I guess, the practical side of that support, a lot of it is stuff that we kind of already know you know I, I imagine like things like asking people to bring over a meal if they're coming or if there's a guest over rather than you being the one getting up and entertaining allowing them to come over and make you the cup of tea or hang up your washing and those things whilst they're you know small I guess in the grand scheme of things they're huge to a new mum, like massive yeah they're huge and they're really really hard to allow to happen because a lot of the time we, there are some mothers that don't have enough support. And then there are other mothers that do, but they don't allow it in. So noticing in those early days and at any point in life, noticing when people are trying to offer help 
and notice what comes up in you. And a lot of the time mothers are like, oh, no, no, I can do that. Don't worry. Right. I have it covered because they feel like there's this expectation that they can keep everything in the house in order mm-hmm. while having a newborn. So noticing what comes up in you when people do offer those meals and practice allowing that support to come in can be yeah a huge game changer. So it does seem small, but it's a massive shift of knowing your self-worth, knowing what you need and allowing other people to give to you. And it's such an incredible thing to give to others. So oftentimes they really want to. So who are we to impede that, right? If it is something that is actually helpful for us. Yeah, it can strengthen the friendship or strengthen, I guess, that trust in whatever relationship it is. Um, and I guess it is a time when you do start to sort of go, oh, what are my expectations? What are my beliefs? What are my boundaries? So lots of stuff can come up during that time. Now, on top of the things that we can do before we finish the conversation, I would love to know, are there certain things that people should avoid in the postnatal stage? You know, things like, I don't know, it might be simple, but things like coffee. Can coffee sort of drain more of our nutrients versus give energy to us? Are there certain things that you would recommend people avoid during this time? I think that if we can avoid as much stress and we're going to have stressors in our lives and that's fine, We, we can cope with that. But if we can reduce stress in the form of having lots on, and feeling that pressure to do lots of things and get back to what we were doing before, like that's really helpful to kind of avoid or let go of. And then if we think about our environment, if we can try to avoid environmental toxins, so that might be in the form of harsh cleaning products or things that have any fragrances in them or um, food additives and colors and preservatives. And things like that can be really straining on our body and can deplete us of nutrients further. So those are really good things to get out of our house and get out of our pantry and our fridge. And yeah, coffee, that's something that I think it's individual. If you're having a lot of it, that's going to you know, be hard on your body. But if you're having it once in a while and that works for you, that's probably okay. I think that's an individual thing. But yeah, if we can just reduce those stressors when it comes to those psychological ones, the social ones, the environmental ones, and the ones that come from our food, I think we can set ourselves up really well. And with that, avoiding or limiting convenience foods, sugars, vegetable oils, things like that, that are quite inflammatory and do take nutrients from our body to process and just don't give us much either. They're just quite empty. That can be really good to reduce. So if you can ahead of time have meals prepared that are, you know, beautiful broth based meals or rice or like slow cooked meats and vegetables, that is so much more supportive. And maybe if you haven't done that ahead of time, you can always ask somebody to or take some time yourself to make up a few meals Mm. yeah so there are things to avoid but I don't think we can avoid things completely so just maybe limiting is a better way to look at it 
I love that. Now, something else that will be really helpful, of course, is your book, which is called The Motherhood Reset, A Clinical Psychologist's Guide to Finding Calm, Confidence and Contentment in Motherhood. And I've had a chance to have a look through your digital copy. I haven't read it cover to cover yet, but I'm going to. And I can already see it will make such a massive positive impact on so many women and their partners as well. Where can our listeners get their hands on a copy of The Motherhood Reset? They can get it from my website. And that on my website, I am selling the digital version at this point. I'm going to start selling the print one there shortly. And But on, on the website, they can get the digital copy and they can also click on links to get it on Amazon, Booktopia through there, or just look at the major um online retail book retailers and they can find them there internationally there's a few shops around that have it too but online is probably the easiest option i'll put those details in the show notes and as i said at the start of our conversation this is a topic that of course is important for women who are pregnant or in the post you know the early postnatal days but it's just incredibly important for everyone. Even if your children are a little bit older, I think it's incredibly validating to read your book and to understand what, you know, potentially was going on for you at different points in time. And even if you don't intend on even having children yourself, just as a human who has friends who is, you know, who will potentially have families, it's such important knowledge to have just as we move around the world. So I think your book, as I said, The Motherhood Reset is incredibly valuable. I'll put the details in the show notes. I'm very grateful for your time and your knowledge today. Thanks for joining me and listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this content and are looking to dive deeper into the support that the Kind Parenting Company offers parents and caregivers, you will love the range of programs we have available. The range includes online programs for supporting baby and toddler sleep, most suitable for babies aged 0 to 24 months, and also Toddler Life, which is a guide for those raising children aged 2 to 4 years. Each program comes with access to video and audio files, as well as the opportunity to join the community forums. Podcast listeners receive 20% off all programs. Simply visit the Kind Parenting Company website and use the code KPCPODCAST20, that's KPCPODCAST20, at checkout. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.